Hello, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, a show created by an anxiety specialist and neuroscientist, me, that offers unique, practical, and actionable advice to help you understand what anxiety truly is and exactly what you can do to empower yourself to resolve it. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Kennedy, an MD who suffered with crippling anxiety for 30-plus years, and traditional therapy from psychiatrists and psychologists really didn't help me feel better. And I also didn't like being on psych meds. In 2013, after burning out and leaving medical practice, I came to the conclusion that if I was ever going to heal my anxiety, I would have to do it myself. And that's exactly what I did, drawing from experiences with psychedelics and holistic healing and combining those modalities with my scientific academic background in medicine, neuroscience, and developmental psychology. Here on the Anxiety Arcs podcast, I offer a distinctly non-traditional and non-medical approach to understanding and healing anxiety. So despite the fact I'm trained as a physician, in no way is what I say and suggest to be construed as medical advice because none of the ways I use to resolve anxiety has anything to do with traditional allopathic medicine. From my own healing, I've created a distinctly non-traditional understanding and approach that helps thousands of people from all over the world understand and relieve their chronic anxiety. So if you're ready, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Anxiety Rx podcast. I am your host, Dr. Russ Kennedy, a medical doctor and neuroscientist who dealt with crippling anxiety for many years. And I don't want you to have to suffer with anxiety the way that I did. So this week, I'm going to talk about the people that come in to see me with chronic anxiety, and yet they say, I didn't have any trauma. You know, all this stuff, Dr. Kennedy, that you talk about, about trauma causing anxiety, I didn't have any trauma. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you're not aware of it. I'm going to talk today about people that come in and say, I didn't have any trauma. My childhood was good. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, love lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. So enough Dr. Evil. But there are certain factors that come out for us that we don't recognize as traumatic at the time because either we're too young or we just, we have blind spots towards it. So that's the first example is blind spots. So when you're young and your father's an alcoholic and he's abusive or your mother's hurts you or beats you or whatever, you start making excuses in your own little child mind. Like this is normal. This is normal. This is just how things are. And you deny it for so long that when someone asks you about it in your adulthood, you've been denying it since you were a child. So you go, no, no, I, you know, my dad was good. My, my mom was good. Um, I had a pretty good childhood. And really, if we dig into that, we find out that no, you didn't actually have a good childhood. Your dad beat you from the time you were seven to your 12, uh, or your mother was a complete raging narcissist and never really gave you the attention that you needed. And this is another thing too. Children have varying senses of sensitivity. I was born very sensitive. My brother was born much less sensitive. So the trauma that we endured, I experienced at a much deeper level than he did, or at least that, that's what I tell myself. But what happens with us if we're sensitive is it doesn't take a tremendous amount of trauma. I see people comparing trauma all the time. Like, oh, well, I wasn't raped. So I, you know, I, I wasn't traumatized. Well, you can be traumatized if you're a sensitive person, which is just an inappropriate touch that can be traumatizing for a child. 
So the, that's the first episode. That's the first reason people don't think that they had trauma or deny. Because the other thing is they don't want to bring their parents into any kind of repute, right? They'll repute. They don't want to acknowledge that their parents weren't good to them. So they make up a story. It's not their fault. A lot of this stuff that I'm going to talk about today is unconscious. We're not consciously aware of this stuff, but it's in us. And the number of people that have come to me and said, I had great parents, my childhood was good, and within 10 minutes, I've discovered two or three significant traumas. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Because like I say, I think we do deny this as children. We deny our trauma because that's what we needed to do to survive. When we were younger, we needed to deny that trauma. We needed to just sort of assume that everything was normal. So that's the first way that people have trauma but don't acknowledge it is they just have a huge blind spot for it. And Dr. Gordon Neufeld talks about that too. In, in the developing brain, developing child, we often just start accepting these things as normal, which is one of the reasons why when you're abused as a child, you're much more likely to accept abuse as an adult. Or even, like I think I was talking about last week, even create, finding a partner that is abusive. Because human beings have this thing where what's familiar to us in childhood, we will unconsciously replicate in our adulthood, which is what I talked about in the last podcast about Freud's repetition compulsion. So we, we don't do it consciously, but we, we try to make the events of our childhood match the events of our adulthood. And we do this out of our awareness in our unconscious mind. So a lot of the time we will have trauma and not that everything is about trauma. It's not, everything isn't trauma. 99% of it is, at least the people that I see, at least the people with chronic anxiety that affects them every day. And it really decreases their quality of like considerably is this childhood pattern where your parents didn't meet your needs. And again, if your parent was aloof and you're a sensitive child who needed a lot of care and a lot of attention, that is traumatic for a child. It doesn't fit the quote unquote definition of trauma, which I believe is anything that changes your nervous system permanently to the, towards the negative, towards protection. Because there's protection and there's growth. And if you grow up in an environment where you are loved and connected to by your caregivers, you learn that life is about connection. It's about relationships. But if you grow up with trauma, separation, you learn that life is about survival and that's the lenses that you see through your entire life, unless you see it. And, and unless you see it, you're destined to be it. I wrote that in the book. Unless you see something, you're destined to be it because it's repetition compulsion. It's taking the path of least resistance in a way because it takes work to go back and say, what didn't I get? What did I need that I didn't get? And then start giving yourself that now. As cliche as that sounds, that's really how we heal. So that's the first reason why people say, I had a good childhood. I've got this tremendous anxiety. I don't know why. Second reason I just alluded to was at the back end of what I was just talking about, separation. So I will see good parents who had a separation from their child before the age of five. Like I said, 80% of your, your brain development is before the age of five years old. 
So if you have a separation from your parents, specifically your mother, if you have a separation from your mother before the age of five and you are left with people that you're not that familiar with, even if you're left with people that you are familiar with, a separation from your mother, again, if you're a sensitive child, can be a huge source of anxiety later on in life. Call it trauma. It is traumatic for a child to be separated from their mother. I know many of my friends and the people that I see clinically, and they'll say, my childhood was great. My childhood was good. My parents were good. And then I'll say, okay, well, this uh, anxiety and alarm that you have has to come from somewhere. So ask your parents if you were had a separation from them. And just recently, I was talking to a guy who's, whose parents took his older brother, because he was two at the time, to Disneyland. And they were gone for five days. And when they came back, he wouldn't talk to his parents for three or four days. And that's something called defensive detachment, uh, which is something I've talked about in other, other podcasts. But basically, it's when you are hurt as a child, your first response is to cry out. And if you don't get your needs met after crying out, you shut down, you turn inwards. And there's a story about, I laugh, but I shouldn't laugh about how children on hospital wards weren't allowed to be visited by their parents because they, the nurses would know when the parents left, the kids would freak out. They'd lose their minds because they're in this scary environment. Their parents are their support figures and yet visiting hours are over. So parents have to leave. So the kids freak out. So what, what the hospital did is they would say, okay, no more parental visits. And I laugh because, because this happened to me as well. I was getting my tonsils out when I was seven and, it, and I still remember to some extent just being there by myself and just being by myself. So it, it, it is traumatic for a child to be separated from their parent. And it causes this thing called defensive detachment. So often I will hear stories and families joke about it. It's like, yeah, you know, like Bob wouldn't talk to his mom for a week when she came back from that Alabama vacation. And they laugh. It's like, ha, ah, you know, and it's really deeply troubling for that child. And I know many people who had a separation from a parent who to this day have anxiety, have separation anxiety. And it seemed quite innocuous. You know, they were just gone for some just a weekend. And for a young child, because like I said, 80% 80 of your brain development occurs before the age of five. So if your mother's gone for two or three weeks, and this was often the case with people is that, and it wasn't the mother's fault, technically in a way, because sometimes the mother got sick or right after the birth of the baby, they had pregnancy complications or birth complications. And then they were in the hospital for a, a long period of time. That's a separation. Or if you're a premature baby, and you're in an incubator. I have a, uh, a guy years ago who, whenever he got alarmed, would ha hear this hum, this. Whenever he got alarmed and I went back into his birth history and it turned out that he had neonatal jaundice. Babies are often, not often, but sometimes born with, with jaundice because they can't, they can't metabolize the bilirubin in their system. So we put them under these blue lights. And at the time he was born, these, these lights used to make that noise. And I'm not sure if that's it for sure, but man, it sure seemed like it. 
it sure seemed, and he had a huge separation anxiety as well as generalized anxiety. And when he got really anxious, when he got really alarmed, he would hear this. And I'm just wondering, you know, as a baby, cause the amygdala never forgets and the amygdala is encoding stuff from the time you're in, in the womb and your hippocampus kind of your explicit memory, the declarative memory, the memory that you can declare like, oh, I went to Disneyland when I was 10 is different from this implicit memory, which is a feeling memory, which is a bot, what people call a body memory. Those memories are encoded by the amygdala and the amygdala never forgets. So I find it fascinating how people show up with trauma, show up with anxiety and alarm later on in life when they've had a separation from a parent, one or both. And especially if the brother was taken to, or the sister was taken to, if the two parents and the, and the older sibling were taken or went off somewhere and the child was left alone, that's a real recipe for abandonment worries and fear. So if you have anxiety and yet you think your childhood was good, ask your parents, you know, was I separated from you guys? Did you guys go on vacation? Was mom sick? Was I sick? Was I separate from you before the age of five? Because that is a not uncommon source of abandonment and a feeling of anxiety and alarm for the rest of someone's life until they become aware of it. Now, the third aspect from what I see for trauma, for people that say my childhood was good is what we call inherited family trauma. So it's trauma that gets handed down from generation to generation. And there was a study done at Emory University in Atlanta years ago, and I might not get this perfectly, but basically they took rats, they exposed them to the smell, the smell of cherry blossoms, and then they gave them a small electric shock. And then they had babies and their babies had babies. So now there's grandbabies of the grandparents who are exposed to this cherry blossom scent and the electric shock. And they expose the babies to cherry blossom scent and their bodies go into a state of fight or flight stress. Whereas control rats that didn't have that exposure in their grandparents didn't have the same reaction. So this is being shown more and more that we can inherit trauma from our parents and grandparents and even farther back. And I was having lunch with my daughter Leandra today and we were talking about, um, I was talking about how I can't watch a ship sink. And I think I talked about this in, in my book, Anxiety Rx, because it just freaks me right out. And she says, I had the exact same thing. I can't watch a ship sink. It freaks me out. And uh, we, we talked about our, our uh, reaction to the movie Titanic when it came out, because everyone was saying, this is the greatest movie in the world. You have to go see it. And Leander, I think was about 10. I was, God, I had to be like 37. Like that when Titanic came out. And I had to go and sit in the back of the theater and go by myself because if I started to freak out, I knew I could leave. But Leandra went over to Vancouver at the big IMAX theater there and where they had this big Titanic, not an exhibit, it was a movie about the Titanic sinking. And uh, her mother said when she came out, she was just like, she'd seen a ghost. Like she was white as a sheet and she can't watch these, this, anything to do with ship sinking, this whole thing lately about the submersible and people going down to the Titanic, that just freaked her right out. And 
The other thing that's really weird is there was this movie that came out in 1959 called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And it scared the crap out of me. Like I'm like five or six. And then Leander says, and then there was this movie called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And I'm listening to her tell me this story just at lunch, like just an hour ago. And I said, I, you're not going to believe this, but I had that same movie, that same movie that freaked me out, the Banshees in Darby O'Gill and the Little freaked me out when I was like six, seven years old. She was about the same time. I don't know how she got a hold of this movie because if I saw that movie, Darby going, there is no way on, on God's green earth that I would let her watch it because I, I wouldn't want to watch it because it freaked me out. But just to have that. So that's one of the reasons I'm doing this talk today about this podcast today about inherited family trauma is because we inherit stuff that we're not aware of. And we're seeing more and more studies that male sperm can carry trauma. So we have these traumas that are in us that we can't describe, that are unconscious, that are, as I was saying earlier, implicit memories, body memories, kind of like the, the memory of riding a bike. Now that's in us. You know, if you've ridden a bike since you were a child, that memory is in you. It's a body memory. Your body knows how, as Joe Dispenza would say, your body knows how to do it better than your mind. Now, it's very hard to erase those memories because they are deep inside of us. They're in the subcortical structures of our brain. They're deep down in there, which I also believe houses a lot of the neural programming for anxiety and alarm is through these implicit slash body memories, which is why I say we have to go in to fix anxiety, we have to use the body. We have to reverse engineer that sensation in the body because that is a remnant of our younger self. When we were younger, we experienced a trauma that was too much for our little minds to bear. It got pushed down into the unconscious mind because it's a little safer down there. And as the body is a representation of the unconscious mind, the body keeps the score, that trauma gets held in our body. And then from there on, it resonates from our body into our mind and our mind being a compulsive meaning-making make sense machine, it makes up horrible stories that are consistent with the horrible feeling of alarm and trauma that's still locked in our body. So we can have trauma that's in us. And Rachel Yehuda out of Mount Sinai in New York does a lot of work with Holocaust survivors, the children of Holocaust, or call us children of Holocaust survivors. And notice that there's like a three times the incidence of PTSD than there is in the regular population. It's also true with combat veterans. So you have 20 uh, soldiers in a firefight. And the ones that are most likely to show up with combat PTSD were the ones that had some form of childhood trauma that was unresolved. So there is this fertile ground that we create when we're children. If we have a stable, caring, loving environment when we're children, it provides us a tremendous amount of resilience to anxiety, depression, eating disorders, personality disorders, OCD, all these things. But if we don't get our needs met as children or we're traumatized, and if we're traumatized specifically by our adults, by our caregivers, that's excruciating for a child. And it stays in us. It stays with us. But then we have to remember that maybe the trauma that we had these horrible parents, I didn't have horrible parents, I'm just saying that, some people do have horrible parents, but they had horrible parents and they probably had horrible parents too. Like it just, it just goes back. So who do you blame it on? Like Adam and Eve, like how far back do you go 
to explain this trauma that gets handed down family member to family member to family member. And there's that saying that I've said on this podcast a few times. It's like, the trauma and drama of a family will land squarely in the heart of its most sensitive child. And I believe that. I believe that the trauma and drama of families is handed down both energetically and genetically. We're starting to see more evidence of genetic transmission and it's harder to show energetic transmission because, you know, we don't, as medical doctors, we don't have ways of just really detecting energy like that. But there's an energy. There's an energy that's there even from fetuses in the womb. There's an energy that we get surrounded with. Now, we also get bathed in certain chemicals like epinephrine and cortisol and all that kind of stuff that make us maybe more likely to adopt, to adopt an attitude of protection rather than growth because there's only two things, protection and growth. So when we're in the womb and if our mother's stressed, we get these stress chemicals, it sensitizes our body and our brain, and we're more likely to be sensitive to external stresses when we, when we get out, when, we, when we're bored, when we get out, when we're bored. And that stays with us. That temperament is kind of there. And there is some evidence that suggests that the temperament is genetic as well. So if you have a genetic predisposition to sensitivity, and then you have a sensitive uh, nervous system because your mother was stressed through your through her pregnancy, you're kind of a sitting duck for PTSD, anxiety, OCD, all this kind of stuff. And it's not your fault specifically. So what do we do about it? Well, you know, we give ourselves what we didn't get back then, which is hard because a lot of times there's a blind spot there. Like I was saying earlier, we don't see what we need because we've been denying what we need for so long that it becomes invisible to us. We need someone else like a therapist, like a friend, like someone else who can show us, hey, you know, every time we start talking about something emotional, you leave the room or you can't seem to be able to stay present when you watch a sh ship sink on TV. Or when this other person comes to the table, you can't sit still. So it's realizing that a lot of this stuff is programmed into us. It's not really our fault. But again, when you see it, you don't have to be it. When you become aware of what your programming is, when you ask your parents, like, what are the, what are the things that get handed down through our family? What was normal to you in childhood, which is kind of like a, another uh, addition onto last podcast, which is the repetition compulsion. What? keeps getting handed down through our family? Is it alcoholism? Is it anxiety? Is it schizophrenia? Is it abuse? You know, is it just a disdain for life? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it OCD? Like, what is it that seems to get handed down generation after generation after generation? Not in everyone, of course, in the family, but there's a line that you can trace through. I know there's a line that I can trace through of the people that were anxious and weren't in my family. So what was, what was happening before you were born, after you were born, and way before you were born? Because knowing these things, as Mark Willen writes in his book, it didn't start with you, we can start reprogramming our own worst fears to be able to be able to process them rather than keep pushing them away. So Mark's got excellent. I would highly recommend reading the book. It didn't start with you. 
if you think you've had inherited family trauma, and even if you don't, it's a great book. It really starts to show you that, hey, you know what? This really isn't my fault. And especially read the book if you've got a history of alcoholism in your family or a history of something that just keeps running through, you know, person after person after person. It really helps people understand that it's not their fault. This is, this is something implicitly that's put into their body. Just like Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And I hate, hate that movie. And so does my daughter. Like there's something in us or watching a ship sink. Leandro and I both have that exact same thing. And we've never really talked about it until today at lunch, which is the reason why I wanted to talk about inherited family trauma today and these implicit memories that are in us. Because once we know, once we have awareness of what our trauma actually was, then we can start directing specifically to giving ourselves what we didn't get back then. So I'm going to end it there today and we'll see you next time. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if the Anxiety Rx podcast resonates with you, consider getting my book, also coincidentally called Anxiety Rx. Or you can follow me on any of the social media platforms at The Anxiety MD or my website, www.theanxietymd.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you the next time on The Anxiety Rx podcast.